It is Sunday, June 7th, 2020. This is U62 The Targ. Let's do it! As we say in the radio business, if you put that on the radio, people will listen to it. All right, here it comes. Anyone who isn't dead or from another plane of existence would do well to cover their ears right about now. Why, what a little tiny microchip deep inside some electronics. Broadcasting to the world through the miracle of the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, this is U62 The Tar. Now your host, a man with a lifelong dream of getting paid to do this, Mark Pappas. On this week's show, we're talking about the Batwoman recasting, we're talking about the Fruit Loops Donuts, and we're talking about Indiana Jones meets agriculture. It's episode 10.08, The Bounty of Nature. So sit back, relax, grab yourself some warm root beer and a towel that's oh so fluffy. U62 Natar, you're in for something special. Enjoy the show. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's episode of the Targ. I am Mark Kappas, and I'm still digesting everything that's going on in the world of DCCW superhero shows. As we were talking about a couple episodes ago, the star of Batwoman, Ruby Rose, has decided to leave the show. You know, in the official announcement, they said it had nothing to do with the fact that doing her own stunts almost left her paralyzed, but I'm pretty sure it has a lot to do with the fact that doing her own stunts almost left her paralyzed. But it's very weird, you know, to lose the lead of your TV show, the title character, after just one season. So, of course, people were saying, oh, they're just going to recast her. They're just going to recast her. They're going to have a new woman playing Batwoman next year and all will be fine. But word has been leaking out on the Internet. No, they are not finding a new actress to play Kate Kane. That's Batwoman's real name. They are introducing a whole new character, a whole new woman, to take on the mantle of Batwoman. Now see, this makes sense, because in the Batman family, the mantle has been shared by many people many times. You know, there have been five different Robins in mainstream continuity. There have been three different Batgirls. So bringing in another Batwoman to wear the cowl, that just makes complete perfect sense to me. But then, as some pointed out online, this does kind of change things for the show because a lot of the first season had to do with Kate Kane's family relationships. You know, her twin sister is Alice, her arch enemy, Batwoman's Joker. So there's a lot of that sister dynamic in their relationship. Her father runs the Crows. They're a private security company that has stepped up to fill the void when Batman mysteriously disappeared. Yeah, that's part of the show's backstory. Batman has mysteriously disappeared. So the Crows are run by Kate Kane's father, and he has it in for Batwoman. So a lot of it had to do with that family relationship. So bringing in a whole new Batwoman, you might be throwing out a whole lot of those relationships or building new. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see where Batwoman Season 2 goes if there really is a whole new Batwoman under the cowl. So, all I can say is they've already announced none of these superhero shows are coming back until January of 2021 because of all the COVID-19 stuff going on. So, when it does come around, I will be very interested to see what happens next. Everything's better with Mark Tappas. Crime has gone down, productivity is up, and ratings for Doctor Who are through the roof. Mark Tappas on U62, The Targ. Alrighty, gang, let's do this. It's time for another installment of Mark Tastes Random Things. Time. 
I wasn't planning on doing this again so soon, but my social media feeds have lit up with the Tim Hortons Fruit Loops Donut. So I was out and about today running my car so it won't die on me. I decided to hit the Tim Hortons drive-thru and get myself a Fruit Loops Donut. I didn't know if they'd had one because usually in my experience, the Westlock Tim Hortons runs out of these promotional items pretty quick. But lo and behold, they told me they had two left and I got myself one. Let me slide it around here. Okay. So it looks like a regular plain donut, but it's covered with pink icing. And then they put Fruit Loops in the hole and then they drizzled some white icing on top of it. So yeah, that's what it is. I have it right here in front of me. I'm going to take a bite of the Fruit Loops donut. I got mostly donut in that bite. Yeah, it tastes just like a regular Tim Hortons donut. But I got a little bit of the Fruit Loops, and that gave it a nice crunch. It was kind of sweet, you know, as Fruit Loops are. Let me take a bigger bite, try and get a few more Fruit Loops in there. Yeah, but I got some Fruit Loops in there. What can I say? You get the sweet crunch of the Fruit Loops, and then it mixes in with the donut, and then all you're tasting is donut. So yeah, there we go. That is the Tim Hortons Fruit Loops donut. Yeah, it's cute. It looks good on Instagram, but as donuts go, it's really nothing to write home about. You're listening to Mark Kappas. Go do disgusting things to that boy. On U62. The Targ. And now it's time for the streaming report where I tell you about all the stuff I've been binging on the streaming services these days. As you know, I've been working my way through Battlestar Galactica because I missed it in its original run. I haven't gotten back to it yet. I'm taking a break after the end of Season 2 to just kind of kick my heels up. In fact, the weird thing is I've been watching a lot of classic Disney animated films lately. Here's where I got on this kick. Last week I was telling you about how The Simpsons is now in its original aspect ratio of 4-3, so it's a nice little square with the black bars on the sides. So that got me to thinking, when did Disney animated films start filming in widescreen? Let me give you the primer on aspect ratios. So when movies were first invented, they had an aspect ratio of 4 to 3. Uh, the picture was 4 units wide for 3 units high. You know, just about a square. And so when TV started coming along in the 1950s, that's what TV was based on. So out of the fear that, you know, people were going to stop going to the movies and start staying at home to watch TV, it was in the 1950s that we had the big push towards widescreens, those panoramic vistas. Eventually, they settled on 16 by 9 to be the new standard. The TV screen is 16 units wide by 9 units high, and that's what our modern high-def televisions have been patterned on. So I started wondering, when did Disney animated films start filming in widescreen? It had to be in the 1950s. So I started working my way through the Disney animated films of the 1950s. Cinderella, 1950, not in widescreen. You know, Cinderella is actually one of my first conscious memories of movies. Not going to the movies, but seeing a movie. 
See, when I was a kid, my parents got very involved in Entwistle's Community League. So one time they took over the community hall, brought in movies and showed them on the screen for people to watch. And I remember watching Cinderella back then. So not a proper at the movie theater movie, but it's definitely one of my earliest memories of seeing a movie. Next after that, we had 1951, Alice in Wonderland, not in widescreen. Alice in Wonderland is really unique. Lewis Carroll, the guy who wrote Alice in Wonderland, he was also a mathematician. So a lot of Alice in Wonderland subtext is critiquing some of the new math theories that came along in like the mid 19th century, you know, when he originally wrote Alice in Wonderland. So I'm watching that and thinking, I'm wondering if there's some parent out there who's going to write a fantasy epic all about discovery math. After that, 1953, we had Peter Pan, again, not in widescreen, and you know, Peter Pan is probably the most dated of the bunch because we have some vaguely racist, well, not vaguely racist, pretty racist depictions of Native Americans in it, but still, you know, still an entertaining family film. And then that brings us to 1955 and Lady and the Tramp. Boom. There's Disney's first widescreen film. Lady and the Tramp was filled in a very famous widescreen process known as CinemaScope. And it's interesting to watch it because it doesn't have any of the showy moves that Disney had invented, like with the multiplane camera and all that, because they hadn't yet reinvented all their technology for the wider screen. So it's actually a very flat animated film, but still memorable songs, memorable characters, and Lady and the Tramp is still the beloved classic that we all know today. And that's the streaming report. Probably a little too nerdy this time out. Mark Kappas, Lord of the Overworld, Master of the Twelve Galaxies. Where do you pick that stuff up? I never see you read. Mark Kappas. It's like he channels dead crazy people. U62, The Dark. Think it's a cry for help?
to Neil Towns here on U62, the Targ. Mark Kappas here. Good afternoon. That's one of those songs that's been haunting me lately. It sounds so much like the alt-rock of the 1990s, the stuff that I listened to in high school that I just can't help but be taken by it. Ah, this is one of those things where I'm kind of running out of stuff to talk about and running out of stuff to do here on the podcast, you know. I'm going through my file of stuff I can talk about on the radio and on the podcast, and I keep coming back to the Lost Apple Project. This is one of those headlines that popped up in my feeds a few months ago, and I've just been fascinated by it. The Lost Apple Project is this team that's dedicated to bringing back varieties of apples that have been thought to be extinct. Now, they're not doing it through genetic engineering or selective breeding or all that other stuff. This is how they discover these forgotten fields of apples. What happens is they'll have some farmer, they'll bring in a bushel of apples to their local egg fair bench show. And people will be like, huh, these are unusual apples. I've never seen apples like this. And the farmer will be like, yeah, I've got this tree in my back 40 that's been growing wild for years. I just picked apples off of that. So that's where the Lost Apple Project comes in. They will go to that farmer's field, and it turns out that these apple trees that are growing wild, they are part of some orchard that grew 100 years ago and have just been abandoned. And that's how they discover these long-lost strains of apples. They find an abandoned orchard that's been growing out in the middle of nowhere for years, and they just go bring them back, harvest the seeds, and replant them, and bring them back anew. 2019 was one of their most bountiful seasons on record as they managed to find 10 long-lost varieties of apples. So I like that. It's just a fun story. It's like Indiana Jones combined with farming, the Indiana Jones farm life. So yeah, that's just a story I've had on my desktop for a few months, didn't know what to do with it, so I figured at the very least I would share it with you. And since I am out of things to talk about, well, then I think this is a good place to wrap up this episode. This is it for this week's episode of U62 The Target. As always, thank you for listening. You can also download it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and my personal website, chaosinabox.com. I'm Mark Cap. This has been The Targ. I will see you next week. And this brings us to the end of another exciting episode of The Targ. Don't forget you can download a new episode of The Targ every week at chaosinabox.com. The Targ is written and produced by Mark Kappas under the watchful eye of 42 Star Wars action figures. The Targ is a Chaos in a Box production. That's all there is. There isn't any more.